You are listening to the Business Raw podcast, a deep dive into the world of business. Raw, unfiltered, real-life business stories from the people running them. Your host, KM, Director of First Brick Property Buyers Agency and host of the First Brick Property Podcast. Here is the raw stuff. Welcome back to another episode on the Business Raw Podcast. My guest today is a change expert. She combines knowledge and evidence from her PhD in change implementation research with nearly 10 years of change experience to help teams achieve successful human-centered organizational transformation. Her expertise in change has led her to publish her work in the Journal of Change Management, speak at national and international conferences, teach the change topic in the advanced MBA at the University of Technology, Sydney, and work with leaders to bring change to life. She has worked with organizations in various industries, including the University of Technology, Sydney, the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia, New South Wales Department of Education, Australian Digital Health Agency, National Australia Bank, Bupa Dental, among many others. She's got a large variety of large-scale national transformation projects across multiple sites and functions with a diverse range of stakeholder groups. These have involved adoption of technology, transforming organizational culture, rebuilding business workflow and processes, designing and implementing services, building internal change capabilities for training, as well as adapting to new ways of working, including Agile. She now runs her own business called The Change Hub. And honestly, I can go on and on and on about her roles and experiences, but it's probably just best to get her on uh, and get her to talk about herself. It is with great pleasure I introduce to you Lydia Musa. Lydia, how are you? How are you going? Very good, Carlos. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm good. Um, that's a lot going on. <laughs> you've had a you've had a lot of experiences. A lot happening. Um, tell 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 us about yourself. Tell us about your business. What's going on? And you know what what is what is all this change stuff that you're talking about? Well, first, thanks for having me on. Uh, and I guess you you took the really formal version of that intro, didn't you? Like I just gone straight into it, but. <laughs> Um, really, it's a lot of change. It's essentially what it is, and it took me a little while to find that passion. Um, I started my career as a pharmacist uh, a long time ago, and then uh, soon found out that my passion lay more in, you know, helping the, the business itself. Uh, you know, coming up with new ideas, innovating more so than the clinical aspect of pharmacy. <laughs> Uh, so I uh, moved to the UK for a couple of years and I doubled into training, facilitation and change. Absolutely loved it, came back and pursued that as a career. Um, and then that led me to doing change in pharmacy practice, which was a nice combination of the old and the new. Uh, and then um, that's when I was offered to do my PhD on the topic of change facilitation in healthcare and how to implement innovation using some effective change facilitation strategies. And then, yeah, throughout that four years, just um, did a bit of consulting and started the Change Hub. Absolutely love being um, an entrepreneur, uh, but it is a very hard slog. Um, it's definitely uh, been quite challenging. Uh, and, 
but very rewarding nevertheless. And um, now I'm doing a combination of working for an organisation as a transformation lead as well as running the Change Hub as my business as well. Yeah, that's uh, that is that is really amazing story actually. Um, what what do you just so people can really understand what 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 do you do in your business? What does the Change Hub do? Do you work with other businesses? Are you working with people? What do you do as the Change Hub? Million dollar question. Like parents <laughs> ask me that all the time. <laughs> so, what is it that you actually do? Like, yeah. and no matter how many times I explain it, because it's not you know very specific, like pharmacy or yeah. medicine. It's just very really hard to explain. But really, um, if you think about project management, that's really common. Everyone knows about project management. Um, change, that's to do with the project, the timeline, the budget, the resourcing, the tasks that need to be done. What um, I do is kind of the yin to that yang, which is the people aspect of change. So with any change or transformation, say you're bringing in uh, a new system at work or you're trying to have a culture transformation or you're trying to, uh, I guess, um, change policies and procedures around something, there's a task, which is the project, and then there's the people. Change management is around the people aspect. How do you bring people along? How do you create buy-in? How do you reduce resistance? How do you engage them? Um, And even though people talk about the hard and the soft side of change, uh, they obviously haven't uh, experienced how resistance can be very hard to tackle. (laughs) So that's what essentially it is. It's um, navigating the people side. So with the Change Hub, what we found is that uh, through training about how to navigate navigate the people side of change. So we offer uh, lots of training for businesses, um, small and large, uh, around how to navigate that, uh, how to uh, make sure that we work well together as a team and um, deal with complex changes that might be thrown at us more proactively rather than reactively, which is what yeah. happened recently. <laughs> um, and then the second thing also that we do is we do uh, design workshops for change. So, for example, you've got a problem that you want to tackle and you want to design an idea collaboratively, we facilitate these workshops using human-centered design uh, so that you can come up with the solution together um, and also a, a way to implement it while getting the buy-in along the way so you're not you know, giving some, uh, you know, someone um, a solution on a silver platter and then you're having to deal with the resistance. It's a more proactive approach to uh, make sure that everyone's bought on right from the beginning. So that's essentially um, the main things that we do. And obviously I work um, with organisations as well when they're implementing, in the middle of implementing changes or starting to just work with them and their teams to um, make that change happen in a consulting capacity as well. Yeah, wow. That's uh, that's very comprehensive. It's um, it's very interesting. You know, obviously, I mean, I'm going to guess like a lot of people, uh, like myself, sorry, a lot of people probably didn't know that this role existed or, you know, or didn't know that this was uh, something that happened um, in workplaces. And um, similar to, to, my, to my business, you know, a lot of people don't know that a buyer's agency is a thing or buyer's agents uh, are, are, you know, are a profession and why you would use one and, and whatnot. So uh, it leads me to the question, why would you get into this field? Um, you know, or how did you get into it? I, I know you mentioned you went to the UK and, you know, and there was a bit of a transition there, but how did you go from pharmacy, which is, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know pharmacy too much, but, you know, me being an optometrist originally, um, I'm going to guess it's very similar that it's, it's old school. 
not, there's not a lot of change and and yeah. you know optical practices have been uh working and operating the same way for the last 20 30 years with minor changes you know in technology and whatnot but essentially it's the same thing you go in you have a test the optom tells you your eyes are your eyes are getting worse. You need to buy glasses. Move on. And pharmacy is probably very little changing. I, I could be wrong, but how would how did you go from being a pharmacist to this change expert or <laughs> this change change life? <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, change right. It's it was a big change. Um, I think lots of things. Firstly, circumstances. Uh, that the fact that I was in the UK, I couldn't actually work as a pharmacist for the two years. I had to re-register, which I wasn't planning to do. So I just dabbled in other things and really honed into my strengths. I was married by then, so I also didn't have the pressure of, you know, doing what mom and dad did <laughs> all the time. <laughs> you know, the concept yeah. to the, of, you know, me potentially, you know, throwing, throwing, right, Um four years worth of study and a year worth of internship and then another two years worth of managing quite a big pharmacy throwing all that away was it was like crazy i mean for me it was seemed a bit crazy but the fact that there was this inner peace around this new um uh i guess yeah this new passion and also that my skills when i really looked into it a little bit deeper and 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 honed into it and shut out all of the external possible, you know, like people coming in and saying, oh, you should do this, you should do that. Um, when I blocked all of that out and just focused, what are actually my skill sets? What am I passionate about? Um, and what can I make money from? That intersection, I guess, um, when I found out about change and I found out, you know, that I love training, I love facilitating, I've always had a passion for that, but I just never looked into it much right but when you're taken out of a situation where you have to look at different skill sets then you start looking at things a little bit differently having a bit bit of a fresh perspective and also my husband was extremely encouraging like he could have just been like you know oh, i don't know if this was gonna work for our situation and our plans i mean i was literally um just a couple of years away from owning my own pharmacy we had this plan already but then when we went to the UK, it kind of threw everything out. So sometimes I think things like that happen so that it can give you a little bit more of an insight into yourself, uh, into what you are, I guess, meant to be doing. I know it sounds really cliche, but uh, I do believe that there is, you know, there is that, there is a possibility. It's very true that what they say, like, to find your passion is what we should always aim to do. Um, but it is possible to find that and then, but it's sometimes just people dismiss it because of all of the external stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I, I just took a, took a leap of faith <laughs> and um, went down that path. And, I mean, look, studying for four years, I was a student, right? Like going from managing a pharmacy to go, going back to being a student, you know, with my little backpack at UTS and, you know, it was a bit, and, and also giving birth while I was yeah. a student. I had my second one when I was a student. Like, it's crazy, right? Yeah. Like, it just, it's crazy, but you just, you know, go with it. It makes sense. Like, you know, you, you know, my husband also says you never say no to free education. So the fact that I was getting paid, yes, peanuts, but paid nevertheless to do a PhD. Yeah. Um, was still, you know, for us it made 
sense to us in our way of thinking. Um, and then, yeah, just take, take it and, and be open to opportunities, I think, you know. Why say no if it makes sense? And it, it might take a bit longer to get to where you wanted to go initially. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for us, it kind of accelerated that process. In the, once I finished my PhD, then we were able to achieve what we wanted to achieve and, you know, do the things that we loved. I mean, traveling for two years was phenomenal, like, yeah. you know. I wouldn't give that up for any amount of, you know, money or stability or anything like that. So I think to answer the question, I guess, um, <laughs> really just be open to opportunities, yeah. be open to change, um, block out those out external, you know, kind of distractions or other input and just hone in. I just honed in. Yep. What I yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, if anyone missed that, that's listening. I think that go back and listen to that answer again because um, I don't know if you noticed, but the amount of gold that was in that answer, honestly, because you pretty much just summed up what it's like to run a business without really answer, without me even asking that question, because it's it's a constant toil of you know you just trying to find answers and solutions and to problems you don't even know you have, <laughs> you know, and and I think I I feel like I can relate. You know, I don't have children um, and I haven't been to the UK, but in terms of how we both started, you know, both in the health industry and then where we are now is completely gone away and both coming in from the same culture, we had the same external, uh, like you put an external noise, you know, from family and friends and whatnot. What do you mean? You're going to throw away a five-year master's degree, what, what, you know, throw away in quotation marks. Um, but really if you if you don't change or if you, if you change if you don't if you don't um if you're not looking for what excites you then it becomes life becomes very stale um and i think you're actually the perfect guest i'm not just saying this because you're on but because when we're talking about business and, and what when the questions that we'll get into it's it's business is your i i i I tell people being a business owner is like being a firefighter. You're just putting out fires, right? Like there's always things changing out of your control and there's always things happening and, you know, you fix one problem and then another problem comes up and you're just putting out fires whilst trying to actually run your business and create an income and, and so many things going on. So you've got to be able to adapt very quickly. Um, and obviously you being a change expert is, is, is great. So we'll get into a lot of that. Um, you said, you know, you love change. And then you also said there's a huge amount of resistance to change in, 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 in the world. In the world, you know, people don't like change. Why do you like change and why do people not like change? Is it just because we're comfortable or, or is there more to it? Or what is it? That's a really good question. Uh, I think, so firstly, there's a neuroscience behind that. Okay, so, um, our brain actually fights change as an instinctive, animalistic kind of um, approach to survival. So, you know, our brain likes habitual stuff because it requires less energy. And so one, when you kind of throw a curveball or change, um, it, it brings out, you know, it needs more energy to process it. So it's like this feeling of discomfort. Um, and it also uh, makes you bring out your instinct of like flight, um, flee, fight and freeze when something comes really suddenly as a change. 
right? And that's why when, you know, when I was talking about getting people onto the journey and getting them to co-design that change helps reduce that animalistic reaction because they were getting involved. It's not being imposed on them as a sudden change. So that's why it's really um, important to understand that it's okay. Like resistance is actually a very normal thing. Um, and in fact, there was a study that was done, I think in healthcare as well, that showed that um, 89% of people would rather die than change. <laughs> wow. And, 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 and when you think about it, I mean, you know, GPs will probably, you know, say, yep, I can see where, where that is because in the study, 9 out of 10 people were asked to change their diet um, and start exercising and only one, or else they will die, Yeah, essentially. And only one did that. So that means, you know, the rest chose death over changing. So um, it's very normal. Now, when, why do I like change compared to someone who doesn't, for example? There's a whole, you know, like think of an iceberg and there's a whole bit under the, under the water that you don't see that might have um, pushed for that. So, for example, I, I grew up, I, I was born in Egypt and then we moved uh, when I was 10 to New Zealand. So that's the first biggest change of my life. And then from then I moved about four schools in New Zealand. So at the, at, at the start, I was very resistant to change as a child. It's like, why are you doing this to me? And then still in every move, it was more difficult, difficult. But then we moved to Australia and moved, you know, I think, another three or four schools. And by the end, I was like, you know what? It's not bad because... I'm getting to, you know, find new friends and make new friends in different areas, explore different strengths and different um, environments, you know, learn new things. So my my attitude towards that started to change and I started embracing it. And then that's led us to go to the UK out of choice, you know, rather than it being imposed on us. Um, so that, that kind of nurture, like what happened in my life, could have helped me embrace change a little bit more. Um, but also, you know, uh, now knowing about that neuroscience, knowing about the complexity of humans and how fascinating we are when it comes to things like this um, makes me love it even more. And then also seeing the opportunities that have come with change. Thank God, like, I mean, some changes, uh, don't get me wrong, there was horrendous times throughout all of it, tears and exhaustion and fatigue, like, definitely that comes with change. But I think the opportunities and what has come out of it for me generally has been much more positive than negative. So for me, it's, you know, some people might have had really negative experiences from change and so they lose trust in change. Mm. And so they have this bad relationship with change. Yeah. They're just like, no, nah, don't want to buy of you anymore. I like my stability. So it could be a little bit of that, you know, a lot of that what's happened in the previous experience and also your relationship with it and how you've embraced it as well as your attitude as well towards it um and your parents attitude towards it as well i think that brings you know adds that level like if you're if my parents were very you know not we've got to stay in egypt and do this and this is the way then i probably wouldn't definitely would not be a loving change but because they took risks a little bit more and I mean, most of our parents did that as immigrants, right? So they took that risk. They made a massive leap and a huge change. Um, so it's, you know, it's interesting now, like with the newer generations, it'll be interesting what their 
um, you know, because our kids now, right, they're so we we strive for stability and security. So it would be interesting what their reactions to change are and how can we can make it so that they are still adaptable in a way, but without putting them under all the yeah. stress that we went to yeah. moving countries and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. That yeah, no, for sure. For sure. And, you know, I have, I actually have so many questions on, on this because I think it's really interesting. Um, but also the purpose of the pod is to, to speak about the business side and to, you know, speak to potential business owners that are listening or people that are thinking of getting into business. Uh, but I think all these questions will actually integrate. So I might save them for a little bit of time. But before I do get into the business side, last year, uh, year of COVID, the disaster, year, whatever, everyone had to, everyone was forced to change their entire world, their entire lives. Um, do you think, do you think that because of last year, people will become more open and accepting of change or do you think you know once it kind of settles down everyone's going to go back to normal and become super resistant again because we had no choice Mm -hmm. last year you know lockdowns were not we had to um but once it kind of opens up and whatever hopefully it goes away and no one you know has to worry about covid anymore are we going to go back to being rocks (laughs) and not and not (laughs) wanting to change that's a really, really good point. Um, I think you're right. Last year it was, you know, someone was asking me, oh, you must have had so much business last year because of all this change. I was like, actually, not really because people were in survival mode. Yep. So they weren't thinking strategically about change. They weren't thinking, oh, I need to train my people for change. I don't need them to be adapted. It was just like, get this done as ASAP, right? So, yes, we were in survival mode and we were forced to do a lot of things that we would organizations would never have thought of i mean remote working 100 percent of the time right like my husband is still working from home now because the organizations realize well actually you guys do a lot of great work you're actually very productive Mm. so we'll keep it that way um so some organizations i think will continue to adapt and evolve and take that as a learning lesson um i would say probably at least half should um, because they would have seen the benefit from from that. Um, but maybe, you know, another quarter, and these are totally my own statistics out of my brain, but yeah. uh, nothing evidence-based as such yet. Um, but maybe another quarter might be like, okay, you know, we need a bit more of a blended approach of the old and the new and see how we can, uh, you know, kind of still evolve a little bit, but holding on to some of the things that we've done previously. Um, and then... You know, some organisations will still be very, you know, they're like, okay, now that we don't have restrictions, let's just go back to how it was yeah. and forget if this last year ever happened and let's just not, you know, yeah. let's just erase it from our memory. Um, so I think there will be definitely a mix of bag of different uh, reactions to this. Um, to take an actual case study, uh, you know, like telehealth, for example, that grew tremendously obviously last year because people couldn't go visit their doctors for a little while so and and that there was huge amounts of resistance before COVID around telehealth you know they there were a lot I mean the research around telehealth has been around for decades and then you know people you know practitioners were like no it's not going to work the technology issue the security issue it's not personable blah 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 and then COVID hit and it's like, oh, look at that. Everyone's doing telehealth. 
70%, I think, was the increase from uh, of adoption of telehealth last year. And and then after the restrictions subsided and, you know, everyone could see their doctor, some continued and some just were like, okay, now that we can see you, forget about telehealth. Yeah. So... So it's it'll be interesting to see the data for that as a, just as a cross section of that adoption, the continuation of it. If people are going to take this, and even how they've benefited. I mean, I've spoken to GPs who are like, you know what, it saved me on staff, it saved me on time, it saved you know like all these benefits that they've seen from it. So I think you're always going to get a mix of adoptions and 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 um, taking on lessons or not. Yeah, that that's uh, I think. I, I agree, and I think uh, we've already kind of, like you said, started to see, you know, I have friends where they're still working from home um, or they've got the option to, even other people, bosses, is like, all right, back to the office you come. and um, So, yeah, interesting. I actually just I just remembered something, and I can't believe how accurate this is to, to you know, when you said 89% of people die, would rather die than change. There's a particular... Uh, business person that i listen to and and like and he frequently quotes i just remembered it change or die just 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 his quote it's just change or die and and then i wrote it down and i looked at the number the the percentage you said beforehand and it's it's ridiculously uh, accurate change or die um so i think people will be forced to change and um and and we'll get into the business side now and and we'll see why i guess um before from the start, you know, how long have you been running your business? Uh, is it new? Has it been a while? How long has it been going on for? So uh, the change up four and a half years now. Um, and uh, before that, it was uh, called something different and then we pivoted. Uh, and then that's when we found the change hub and that was for us. That, that was it. Um and when I say us, it's my husband and I, because actually, funnily enough, Andrew's also a change manager. So oh. <laughs> it is a def- definitely um, a family business. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just a lot more. So, so uh, four years and um, yeah, it's, uh, I guess it's been up and down. It's, uh, we've had to pivot a lot, test and, and, and um, you know, find out what it is that our customers really need. Um, and we're st- that's still evolving. We're still trying yeah. to you know, figure that out. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's essentially. Yeah, cool. Well, firstly, congratulations for hitting four years because, I mean, you probably know the stats. Um, 80% of businesses, small businesses in Australia don't make it past two years. So, you know, very, very amazing job. So good on you. Um, how is running a business compared to what you thought it would be like and i think this is a big question because a lot of people and i was telling you this before we recorded come to me you know a lot of my mates or just random people know i'm in business world and, and i like business and they'll come and pitch me their great ideas and and it's all amazing you know we're going to make millions in the in in a day um but when you tell them what it's actually like to run a business, they get a little bit scared. How how are you finding? Did you go into it thinking it's going to be one way and it, and it is the way it is, or is it completely different? What, what are you finding the the comparison like? It's hard because I didn't really. I didn't 
to be fair, I did not go into a business thinking I'm going to make millions of dollars because <laughs> mine is not one of those like, you know, it's it's not something that is easily scalable, right? Yeah. So I remember um, going into, there was this, this workshop at uni while I was doing my PhD at the start of my PhD and it was around commercialization and, and entrepreneurship, right? And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. I might join that. Um, I had the change hub, but it was very early stages. And then they, you know, um, they got us to pitch, right? And so as I did my pitch, the director of entrepreneurship walked in the door. And my pitch was around this, you know, machine learning platform that could predict uh, what you, you know, if you put in a barrier, which was what my research is, you know, had evolved kind of around. A machine learning um, platform which could predict your barrier to change. Oh, sorry, you could put in the barrier and then it will predict what the most effective strategy is according to the research. And so I pitched this idea again, like just as an idea. And he walked in the door and then he goes, um, after we finished, he's like, um, are you free for 20 minutes? I have the director of Telstra coming in in 20 minutes, and I'd love it if you can pitch your business idea to him. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. This is like I literally came up with this in this <laughs> workshop. This is not a, like I haven't even done a business plan or anything like that for this. He's like, just, just you know, just to practice. Anyway, I, I buckled. I, I buckled and I was like, no, no, I, I, I'm going to pitch something a little bit different to the director. And I said, talked about the change hub, that it's more of a consulting because I couldn't commit. What if you said, yeah, come on board and, and let's see you special your first client. So I just buckled on like, you know, oh, we do consulting, we do training, da, da, da. And he's like, and the first thing that he said, how is this scalable? And I was like, oh, well, that shut me down quick. He's like, uh, as much as we'd love your insights at Telstra, but how can we scale it beyond you? And I was just like, you know, dagger in my heart. And I was yeah. like, oh. So my, that was my first proper rejection, right? And, um, and, and since then, there has been an array of rejections. But each of those told me something about the business that – what is it that I actually want out of this business? Do I want it to be scalable? Do I want it to be something that is, you know, off shelf? Or do I want it to, you know, be more centered around consulting? Um, do I want it to be, and, and I think, um, you know, I did this course and it said, you know, is it a lifestyle business or like a more of a scalable, really huge business? What do you want your business to be? And, and being realistic about it as well, like, and, and, and like, okay, we all want that million, you know, multi-million dollar business, but do we know what the reality yeah. of that actually is? <laughs> for sure, for sure. And, you know, people, uh, something I actually often tell these people that speak to me about their ideas and whatnot, I said, you know, you might have, it might be a great idea, um, but what do you really want is the, is the big question. And you hit the nail on the head because you might think you want a hundred million dollar you know forbes listed business but when you get to that level or that growth stage you're no longer doing what you wanted you it's a different world you're you're running a corporation with employees and you're you know what your role is no longer what you wanted to do at the start so it is actually very important to to know what you want out of your business before going into business and a successful business doesn't necessarily mean it's hitting a dollar figure and you know x amount of money um successful business i think is achieving what you wanted to achieve whether it is a money goal or whether it is changing 
people's lives or whatever your product or service or it is, if it's doing that and that's what you want it to do, then you have a successful business. Obviously, and and my last guest said this, you can't run a business on fairy dust. Um, so obviously there is a monetary component to it because we have to pay the bills and keep lights on and, you know, keep going. Um, but it's a very good point that you mentioned on why, you know, knowing why you want to run that business to start with. You spoke about rejection. Now, the only people I think deal that deal with as much rejection as a business owner are probably salespeople. Um, it is if you don't deal with rejection in your normal life, it's going to be a shock. And and it's you know you might have the best best product, best service, whatever it is. You're going to get rejected. It's going to happen um, because of many reasons. You know, people might not like change, so they don't want to change to your to your new system or product or whatever. People might not like that you have a beard or you have long hair or whatever. People just might not like you. Uh, so you're going to get rejected. How do you deal with rejection? Uh, how did you deal? Has it changed the way you've dealt with rejection at the start to how it is now? I know I have definitely changed how, you know, yeah. when I used to get rejected, it was like, oh, heartbreaking. It was like I was crushed. It was like I spent three hours preparing and, and uh, uh, presenting this presentation about how I'm going to, you know, build a portfolio for them and they're going to be able to retire by 35 or 40 and be financially free and it doesn't make sense why would you not want me to do this for you and like oh crushed and now it's like okay next you know um have you changed your your reaction to rejection how do you deal with rejection do you have advice for people that are not used to dealing with rejection um yeah rejection question rejection question oh um uh, I'm a basketballer, so rejection rejection's like innate in me like for a long time, so I'm used to that type of rejection. But when it comes to people, it destroys me. It absolutely destroys me. It did for a very long time. Um, I remember I did a, a pitch um, for the CIO of UTS, and I was, you know, I had backup from huge people in UTS about this concept that I was trying to implement and I spent days and weeks um, putting together this phenomenal proposal, went, did interviews and got all this data um, and, you know, half an hour pitch and shattered, absolutely shattered. And, you know, you're like inside, you're like crying <laughs> and you're like, yeah, you just walk out and cry yourself in the lift. But, um, and, you know, call my husband and be like, oh, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, look, it's, it, it, you, I've actually ended up, and I did that, you know, a couple of times and then realized, hold on, my, why am I repeating the same thing over and over and expecting different results? So I've realized, first of all, I cannot ever do a pitch to someone who I'm meeting for the first time in that room. Impossible. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Not for what the concept I'm trying to sell. I'm not selling a product here. And that would be the same for you, right? You're you're selling a concept and, and your brain, really, and your efforts. So for me, I realized that when you're in a service style business, 
you can't do a pitch for the for, do a pitch for people that you've met for the first time. And if I really calculated and and looked at all of our clients to date, I would say probably about ninety percent have come from referrals, um, and maybe ten percent from my insights that I share on social media. Um, and actually, let's say nine percent and. And that's from the insights, but direct, like, you know, like a concept that I've said and, and it was an insight, not selling on social media, that's never worked for me either, um, or approaching people that I've had some contact with that are in my funnel a little bit more specific to their particular barriers, um, and then only maybe 1% of that even from just cold calling or from, you know, trying to sell sell something on social media. So that's for a service business. I mean, for a product business, I think it's very different because people just fall in love with the product. They don't care about you. Um, but for a service-based business, there has to be that element of trust. Mm-hmm. There has to be that um, engagement from very early on. Um, they have to feel comfortable with you, uh, and they have to have a real need at the time. So timing is so crucial as well. Like, you know, you know, maybe four years ago, if you had approached me for your business, I'd be like, no, I'm not in that in that mind frame at the moment, right? Um, but then, you know, maybe down the track when I'm more into the investing and, you know, have my life sorted a bit more, I'd be like, actually, now I remember Kroos who does this and I really want to engage with him and ask him a little bit more about it. So there are so many factors. And when you hit the right spot, like that yeah. intersection of all of these things ticking, that's when you've had a gold mine. And then I realized then you get repeat customers or referrals from that. And that's where you really can make it extremely successful. I've just realized I just have to change my strategy. And then it ended up that my reactions to the rejections reduced, but also my reaction changed because I wasn't so hung up on this one sale, if you like, or one mm. pitch. Um, it was more like, you know what? It's by the time I actually speak to them, they're already sold. Yeah. Because they've you know gotten engaged for so long, um, without making it so like you know the only way to engage is through newsletters. You know, like <laughs> that's it's sometimes a good concept, but again, yeah. um, you have to be forefront, but it has to be authentic. I found that it really does have to be authentic, not automated, not you know. Um, too artificial in a way. It has to be authentic, and people feel have to feel that you, they can really connect with you. Yeah, um, I think you know. You said authentic. You said trust. Um, someone, someone told me, uh, you know, people, people who like you will listen to you. People who trust you will do business with you, and and hundred percent. You know, if it's a product based business, it is a different story because it, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can literally see the use um when it's a service like your business like my business it is you you you're paying for the person you're paying for their knowledge their expertise and and you're hoping that this person will be able to deliver on what they're saying you you can show them past results uh, you can tell them what you're gonna do but because they can't touch it and feel it it comes down to trust and and uh, you know learning from like you said as well learning from rejection and learning you know, not just doing the same thing over and over again, realizing, okay, well, this guy said no, well, this person said no, why? Was it, was it me? Was it my service? Or like you said, maybe it wasn't even the right, it wasn't the right time for them. Maybe they don't even need your service, right? You know, if, if I pitch uh, my business to someone 
who doesn't want to buy a house or doesn't want to invest in property, of course I'm going to get rejected. My pitch might not be a problem. It might be the person I'm pitching to. And then well, that comes back down to me and my business and, and being able to filter who I'm speaking to and, you know, and understanding that. So it's a, it's quite a, quite a good answer. Uh, I think that's very important for people to, and, and, but inevitable at the start, you're probably going to be feeling crushed. And it's just a matter of, I guess, learning from that. Sticking or linking to rejection. What, what motivates you? Who motivates you? What motivates you? You know, you get up in the morning after being rejected for the 1,000th time in a row. How do you get up and just be like, all right, let's do it again? Because I get those days or those weeks where nothing seems to work. You know, it's just not, nothing's clicking. And you just wake up and think, oh, another day. (laughs) What, What motivates you? How do you keep going? And how do you strive to be successful? I think the motivation is a little bit of intrinsic, like it has to be really come from within you. Um, I mean, there are some things that you could probably do that psych you up a bit, you know, glass and music yeah. on, like I have a tiger kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and also having a support network that encourages. I think that's really important because um, if you didn't, then your your network could potentially deflate you and tell you, oh, we told you that this wasn't going to work and, you mm-hmm. know, should have just, just throw in the towel now. Um, so having a support network that actually encourages you to keep going and then also that reflection that, okay, what did I actually do? What could I change? What could, you know, I can do better? What what a different, totally different, you know, approach I can um, use and, and what uh, partnerships can I develop, right? So, um, you know, one of the biggest, and I know you're, you're probably going to ask this, but like, you know, the biggest tip, out of everything um, is really have some partnerships, develop some really strong partnerships. Not, not. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, I, I don't have anyone working uh, for me or, you know, with me in the business other than my husband and, you know, but other than that, it's been partnerships. So I partner up with someone, a marketing agency. I partner up with these fantastic visual facilitators that have been, you know, we go do facilitation workshops together. I do the facilitation and they visually scribe everything that we say in the discussion. So partnerships have been really amazing. I've partnered with tech companies so that when they're implementing a tech, I can come in with the adoption piece. And that for me has been really key in in being able to reach more people. So it becomes a win-win scenario for them and for yourself. Um, so partnerships have been really, really important for me. Um, and also... Just not getting caught caught up in following other people's businesses and how they're going in theirs, right? Because that's so demotivating. They're mm-hmm. a totally different trajectory. Yeah. Um, totally different path. Theirs might be product, and you're comparing yourself to a potential product business. It's just totally different. So do not compare yourself to any other business. Just yeah. Keep going with your passion and with your vision and with your purpose and have some really measurable, smaller measurable things. Don't say when I'm up to the X amount of dollars, then I'm successful. No, yeah. just celebrate those tiny little wins, mm-hmm. like an extra connection here, and you never know where that might lead you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, networking, relationships, partnerships, uh, super important, um, and and. Surrounding yourself, like you said, you know, those good partnerships, they'll keep you on track, I think, keep you going and because they want you to succeed as well. So they're going to 
lift you up. Um, and you also never know, you know, some person I speak to on the street or, you know, he might know someone that wants to buy a thousand properties and send them to me and that's it. Life changed, right? Um, so you never know. But something you said right at the end there, and I can relate to this one million percent, um, is not comparing to other businesses and not looking at external or other people's businesses or not. Um, you know, a quick story is, you know, buyer's agency is quite new in Australia. There's not a lot of us, but there are a few, um, about five, 600 in all of Australia. So it's quite small, you know, 75,000 real estate agents, five, 600 buyer's agents. So it's a very big difference. Um, I, and, and there's a bit of a, there's a group of us, you know, on, on Facebook and we, you know, we talk to each other to keep each other going. And I saw one guy, he posted, oh, I just signed up X amount of customers for the month. And I thought, how the hell did he sign up that many people in one month? And we both started our businesses at a very similar time. And I thought, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? And it really got, it really bugged me. And then I got on the phone. I thought, I'm just going to call him. Called him. So, hey, man, how did you do this? We started at the same time. We're doing very similar marketing. What's going on? He goes, oh, I used to actually be a mortgage broker and I have like 5 million contacts. And so they've all sent me customers. And I said, oh, okay. Well, it's completely different. You know, this guy's got the networks and the relationships and I'm coming from an optical background. It's a completely different world. And, um, you know, if you didn't, if I was, if I didn't know that, I'd just be looking at this guy and be so defeated. And, and something else, you know, there's another guy who's uh, in my network for some reason and super anti-buyer's agent. He hates buyer's agent. I don't know why. He just doesn't like him. He's developed his own course. And so he's selling his course. And every time, and he added me as a friend, put me in his group and I kept seeing his stuff. And I was getting angry and frustrated. And I was like, why would you add me? Why would you bring me into your network? You know what I do. And you're just promoting anti-buyers agent stuff. And it was so frustrating. And I said, do you know what? I'm going to block this guy. I just stopped looking at his stuff. Literally just stopped. And it took me so long because I was telling myself for so long, I will stop looking at his stuff. But I just kept him around because I just wanted to know. I wanted to know. I wanted to know. And I said, stuff it. I don't want to know anymore. Since getting rid of him, I don't care. He's he, like, whatever, gone from my mind, doesn't affect me. My business has improved dramatically, signing more customers, you know, getting our customers more, more great property, making them money. Like everything's starting to work. So, you know, that one little thing can be such a dramatic change, just not comparing and, and just sticking to your lane and doing what you're doing and stay focused. Um, I think that's very, very important. Uh, so I just wanted to share that because uh, I agree so much. Um, I know we're running out of time, so I'll ask you just a couple more questions real quick. Do you have any influences, anyone that you look up to that you've, you know, maybe helps you on your business path or in terms of you know plan or strategies or whatnot, or you don't really have a model, role model or anything uh, like that? I think um, I, I obviously, you know, I have role models, um, but – for, I guess, a couple of things. For business, um, I, or I guess everything really, I try and look for evidence as much as possible. So what does the evidence say? Um, 
what can what are some case studies that I can look to that is comparable again um, I but but I never I don't ever believe in a one size fits all for anything really um, I think you know everyone is totally different and uh, you need to be able to tailor any of the content that you see and filter it so that it you know relating to your particular situation um, and I am a strong believer in trial and error. <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot of error, but it's been, you know, that's that for me is the biggest thing because I can't, I can't know until I try, and if I fail, then I know I'm going to fail fast, and then mm. keep, continue and move on with the next strategy. Um, so for me, evidence and trial and error have been the biggest, um, I guess, approaches that I take when it comes to uh, both the, my business and um, you know how I. In terms of change, etc., even for my own kids. Um, so, so those those two. But obviously, you know, you learn from other areas. So I, I know, like you know, in terms of organisational psychology, so I love Adam Grant. Um, and you know, in terms of real authenticity and getting a message across, I love Simon Sinek um, and what he says uh, around you know starting with the why and um, and, and and that those kinds of concepts. Um, and and have some, you know, mentors. So for me, you know, I've got some great mentors at ETS Startups. So if I have a startup question, I'll go to, you know, one of my mentors there. Uh, and, yeah, just just try some to start, I think. You know, sometimes yeah. we wait and, and until everything is perfect and then we lose that chance. Just start. Yeah. Start with something just uh yeah very i think that's yeah just do it sometimes just you just got to jump into it leap of faith like you said earlier um real quickly you know as a business owner you're doing a million things you're running the business uh you're trying to get customers you you know you you're doing the finance marketing and even you actually need to do the service that you that you offer how do you manage your time how do you do you have time management techniques or you just figuring it out everything's all over the place <laughs> two things um so my husband's fantastic he's really detailed he's great at managing tasks um he's also background is finance so he does all our finances pretty much um for the business but for me personally um i've i've started using some great uh, workflow tools so and visual management boards so trello is a really good one for me um, i find that really useful i can put alerts i can attach all of my documents i can have one place for everything links etc to do's move it check it all that sort of stuff so um trello is a great one i you know suggest it to most of my clients as well um uh, so that's a great one to manage kind of those priorities and those tasks um, and also having control over my own calendar is a huge one for me. Um, even if I'm working with an organisation, I like to, you know, really block out some deep work time. So, you know, no meetings, nothing, just deep work, go into yeah. something in a little bit more detail so I'm not distracted because I'm very easily distracted. So I have to put <laughs> mitigation strategies to stop myself from getting distracted. Um, and um, and blocking also out time so that I can just focus on other things other than work. So my family, um, you know, when we go out or even just family time after 6 o'clock, I try as much as possible not to um, do any 
that actually any work at all, but, you know, sometimes I'd respond to messages and stuff, but no emails, nothing like that. So um, I think make the most of the time that you have when you are working. I know for a business owner, sometimes it's just impossible to just block out and not be available 24-7. Yeah. But I think I've found that people respect you more when you respect your time. So, you know, if I haven't responded at 10 p.m. because you're in, you know, another side of the world, then that's okay. It's okay. You'll, you'll get a message from me when I can. Yeah. Um, and people respect that. I've never had an issue with that. Um, I've never had anyone say, oh, how could you keep me waiting for a full day? Like, yeah. they'll just, they might give me a courtesy call and I'll be like, yeah, let's move on with it. And, mm. and you still get the business. Like, you're not going to lose it because of that. But respect your time and make the most of it, I think, is really important. And prioritize what's important for you, not just for other people as well. Um, and reduce, I know you were speaking about, you know, fighting fires as business, as business owners most of the time earlier. And, it's about trying to be more proactive than fighting clients. So, you know, doing as a matrix where, you know, Eisenhower matrix, which says, you know, 80% of the time should be done on um, urgent and important things um, versus 20% of the time, which should be completely important but not necessarily urgent. And that's when I talk about deep work and things that are more proactive rather than firefighting. Um, and trying, as I know, that's easier said than done, but to reduce those distractions as much as possible. So put whatever strategies you can to mitigate that yeah. um, and prevent that from happening. Um, and also no pings on social media. I just can't handle that. Otherwise I'd be so distracted all the time. Yeah, yeah. I might have to um, might have to employ your services because it doesn't seem like you're fighting enough fires. Uh, it seems like I'm fighting too many <laughs> fires. C- clearly something's not right. Um, so we'll be in touch. Um are you a reader? Do you read books? Any 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 hot books that people should be listening or reading, going out and buying? Oh no, yeah, so many. Um, I think it was eighteen minutes is a really good one for efficiency. Eighteen minutes. Um, eighteen minutes. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's also from Good to Great. Uh, love that one. Um, there's also started Simon Sinek, starting with the Why. Um, what else? There's, I'm reading at the moment, The Catalyst, uh, which is around change. Uh, and what else is there? Heaps. Um, Unstoppable by Nick Vujic, which is not really business related, but it's just a great personal book. Um, what else? That's a, I, I, that's a yeah. fair amount. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> so a fair amount. Uh, I've heard uh, I've heard about Good to Great a couple of times. Um, heard it's a good one. Eighteen minutes sounds very interesting. Might have to pick that one up. Um, do you have time for two more questions? Or are we running out? All right, I'll, I'll skip well, it. I'll skip it. More. I'm gonna pick up the little one. All right, all right, we'll just go to the last question. Uh, I know we we're very pressed for time already. Over, uh, and you already answered this question, um, but I just ask it again. And if anyone missed it, one piece of advice to anyone listening who's a future entrepreneur, what what would you? What would you give them? What advice? Uh, yeah, I guess um, partnerships. Partner up with people who are who, if they were to partner with you, they complement your service. Uh, and when when you do business alongside them, then it's a win win scenario. Uh, and and that way they refer to you, you refer to them, and it becomes a two way stream. And it's really fantastic. 
um, way to build build your networks beyond yourself. Yeah, amazing. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I literally have like so many notes written down here that I could ask you and go for another five hours, but um, yeah, we won't do that. We'll have to get you on for a part two. I, I honestly, that was really really good. Thank you so much for your time. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. Um, if anyone is listening and thinking we want to, you know, we want to get in touch with you for for their business or whatnot, how can people find you and and get in contact? Uh uh, you can DM me on LinkedIn, Lydia Musa, um, or you can visit thechangedhub.com.au, um, and that's a there's you know inquiry form there. Um, but I like LinkedIn a little bit more because then it's a little bit more personal, and we can chat a little bit more around what their specific needs are, um, and then probably catch up, you know, for a Zoom or yeah, um, yeah, catch up somehow. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll put your we'll put your LinkedIn uh, link in the show notes as well. So if anyone's looking to get in contact, they'll find you there. Uh, thank you again for jumping on with us. Um, and thank you to everyone that's been listening. Thank you to listening to the Business World Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Clubhouse, First Brick, everywhere. We're, we're all over the place. Um, and if anyone else wants to jump on and tell us their story, I uh, would love that. Thank you so much, Lydia. I appreciate it. Um, I've been thank KM. You. And that was the raw stuff. Thanks, everyone.